Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to hear from Sting about his return to rock. And also we're going to talk about some new music by Lady Gaga. And that was a little bit of perfect illusion, which I frigging love. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Me my, too. <laughs> it's, uh, but Lady Gaga's new song, and probably my favorite Lady Gaga song in at least two or three years. Definitely. I'm here with Brittany Spanos. Hey, Brittany. Hey. <laughs> Catch us up with Lady Gaga. So it's been three years since Gaga released her last solo album, and everyone's been really looking forward to what she was going to do next, especially after doing Standards with Tony Bennett. And she had an Oscar nomination earlier this year. And Perfect Illusion is the first single off of her new album, Joanne, which is coming out in October. It was produced by... Mark Ronson. Mark Ronson. Okay, and this one is... Blood Pop, right. I believe. Yeah. Right, right, right. Mark Ronson is on a lot of the songs mm-hmm. on this new album. Yeah, it seems like he's her primary collaborator. He started talking about them working together a little bit after the Oscars, and he was talking about how it's going to be a really analog album, and she started to announce a lot of collaborators on it, like Beck will be on the album, Florence Welch, um, Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age uh, plays guitar on this song. Kevin Parker from Tame Impala also. So there's, a, there's a lot of rock on this record. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, I mean, I can't wait to hear it. She's always had that side. Yeah, I've definitely been waiting for her to do even more with it because she always sings about her background sort of in the like Lower East Side, like punky, dirty rock and roll right. scene that she was in when she was like in college and in her early 20s. And it's really always been a thematic element in all of her music. Right. Um, but, but not, yeah, yeah, exactly, like kind of in the background, yeah. Yeah, like sort of like referencing her like sort of rock and roll friends. And she did a lot of work with like semi-precious weapons, but she's never really done it in her music too much except for maybe Edge of Glory. Right. And like a little bit on Born This Way. But right. And maybe, yeah, a little bit yeah. of the piano stuff here and there. For but sure. you're Yeah, you're right. And so this is really her like first big, big foray into creating a song that's more rock, less pop. Right. Yeah. So catch us up with her path over the last few years because, you know, she was queen of the world. And I'm a big fan. I feel like nobody, mm-hmm. like, makes use of pop spectacle yeah. you know, in the way that she does, <laughs> as, like, over the last decade. And actually has, like, a true, like, artist's sense, too. Definitely. But she definitely had a heart. You know, speaking of art, she had, like, a, a pretty rough time with the whole art pop record. Yeah. I mean, she's always been pop's big weirdo ever since she came out, but art pop was really her going more into her avant-garde side and a lot of references to the fashion world, which she's always been a part of, but it really played a big part into art pop and the rollout of it and the themes on that album and the sound of it. But and it that, didn't have a huge single. It didn't yeah. have a huge single, and it really just didn't click with a lot of people. I think there were definitely some standout tracks on the album, but it was a lot of hit and miss with, like, she had, like, a trap song on there that didn't do too well, and, like, a lot of the singles just, like, really didn't hit the way that a lot of her past ones had, you know, skyrocketed through and hit number one or sold millions of copies, but... So um, she kind of retrenched yeah. after that and kind of got got out with Tony Bennett. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, one of the things about her is I think people don't often give her credit for how musically talented she really is. She's like a great yeah. songwriter and she's just a 
really killer singer. I mean, on another level from somebody like Madonna. No, you know, no offense <laughs> to Madonna, but she yeah. like makes use of kind of a limited instrument. But Lady Gaga can really sing and really play. Like, so I, I felt like the Tony Bennett thing was just like the perfect thing for her to do. Yeah, because that especially didn't come across to people who didn't see her live. Really, I think that people didn't know how much of a singer she was until they, you know, had the chance to see her live or really watch videos of her. So the public didn't really get to see that side of her and that weren't like fans or, you know, engaged within that way. But her Tony Bennett album, Cheek to Cheek was, it won them a Grammy together. Like she toured that for a really long time. And her first solo song in a while was Till It Happens to You with um, Diane Warren, who co-wrote it. And it was for the documentary, The Hunting Ground. And then that got them an Oscar nomination. And that was a huge moment for her, really coming back to her solo career and launching into this next phase and made people really hungry for what was coming next. Right. She kind of went and did something that, like, somebody like Ariana Grande, no offense, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't do. You know what yeah. I mean? She went and, like, not many pop singers can go and just do, like, a standards tour, you know, with this jazz legend yeah. and be credible. And want to exit the pop world so you know, in such a big way and such, you know, leaving that behind to do club tours and like being with Tony Bennett and everything. And that was, that was really great to see her explore that side of her, you know, musicality and her voice and getting to show that off for a while. Right. Well, let's see what happens with this record. And she's (laughs) back. Brittany Spanos, thanks for coming on. Thank you. That was I Can't Stop Thinking About You by Sting, the new song by Sting, and probably the most police-like thing he's done in a long time. Yeah, maybe since Synchronicity. I'm here with Patrick Doyle. Hey, Patrick. <laughs> hey, Nathan. You talked to Sting, the yeah. one, one of the ultimate, the most rock starry rock stars yes. of the 80s and 90s, yeah. even though he has another side that he often shows us involving lute and jazz music, mm-hmm. and, uh, but he's, he's come back to rock. Yes, thank God. <laughs> so tell us what's been going on with Sting. Catch us up. He's always got a lot going on. Well, Sting, he yeah, he since in the last ten years alone, I think he did a, a symphony album, a, a you know, lute album, a uh, Broadway play, um, the Last Ship, the Last Ship that he spent uh, the last five years, you know, until about twenty fourteen. That was you know his main project. He was a you know very invested in that, and it 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 did made it to Broadway. It didn't last a whole lot of time, but he was you know, super proud of just the fact that it made it to Broadway, but he's done just about everything. And that's kind of what you have to respect about Sting. Like, even though he is, um, the commercial rock star, pop star, he can, you know, he's, he's adventurous and, and, and purposeful. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, always has something, his, he's always ambitious for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on the road this year, right? With, uh, Peter Gabriel. You, you yeah. saw him on that tour. Yeah. I went to see him, um, you know, he, he when he goes on tour, he basically will do the hits and things that what people want from him. But a little bit of a twist every time. This was with Peter Gabriel, kind of like we did with Paul Simon a couple of years ago. Where so he's they, not bringing like Branford Marsalis out in the room, right? No, yeah. he did a symphony tour though, and that was actually pretty interesting. The Symphonicities tour, um, but he shared a band with Peter Gabriel. They did 
Genesis stuff. They did Sting stuff, Peter Gabriel stuff. It was it was very cool because it, you were never really bored because they kind of switched off after a, a couple songs, and so it was kind of um, a little bit different than than you'd expect from them. So that was Imagine Square Garden, and Sting was in great shape there. It was he put, still puts he on. He looks a great good. Show. He still yeah. looks a lot. He looks like Sting. He looks fit. And yeah. Tell me about this new album because I do like yeah. this single. This is probably my favorite Sting song in a while. The album is called Fifty uh, Seventh and Ninth. Um, which is actually just the intersection that he had to cross all the time to get to all these different studios in New York, <laughs> which is just, it's kind of a weird title. Be careful, Sting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so um, I met him with him at Avatar Studios, uh, which is where he was finishing up the record, and um, he sort of just booked studio time without any music written with members of his touring band, and then um, this band from Austin uh, called the, the Last Bandoleros. It was a couple guys from that band, and he just kind of would have musical ideas a little bit, but he he didn't have lyrics or anything, and sort of went in and just started playing with them. And he book, said he booked you know an hour or two at a time. It was never a whole lot of time, just so he would see so say we have to to do something today, and they would come out with something. And so he likes to be very spontaneous um, and uh, kind of just keep things interesting. So um, it was very on the fly, live. Um, and he said that was really exciting for him to get back to. Uh, he's such a perfectionist that it must be kind of interesting for him to... to and he totally owns his perfectionist side and is just so like I like I love when you ask him about like when did it start working for you as an album he says like it's always working for me and I have really high caliber musicians and he's just like totally always so committed yeah he's he I think he has a sense of humor about about himself in that sense I yeah he's he uh he says things deadpan a lot of the time that you don't really realize it until afterward when you're maybe or listening to the audio that he, I think he, he is a little bit of a, a grin at least behind. <laughs> so let's listen to it. All right. So our yeah. listeners at home, listen for the jokes. What does it do for you when you play this more upbeat rock and roll music? What is it? What is, what is it? What do you get out of it? When you it's return? a workout? <laughs> yeah, like for me again, the, ele- the, the 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 most important element in all music is surprise. Yeah. So I want surprises within songs. Yeah. Uh, and I want surprises about the choices I've made for the listener. Yeah. So I don't want people to ever be complacent about. Okay, you pick up a thing record, and you know. You should never be sure what it's going to be. Yeah. And that's, I'm determined that that's the case. Yeah. So I will keep throwing these curves, you know. Um, and, you know, largely they comply with popular taste. I've been very fortunate in that. Uh, even though I'm following my, my whim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really am. I just I do what the fuck I like. Right, right. Even you, when you came to the U.S., you played for three people, and like you know, what you, you know what I mean. And, and then you were doing whatever you wanted to do, and like, yeah, you got on. Yeah, but it's it served me well. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I I'd rather have a hit against the odds than somehow manufacture by some magic formula. You know what? What the zeitgeist of you know the listener is at the moment? How how do I you know? Get in there. I, I'm, I'm much more spontaneous. I'm in, interesting, interested in interesting myself, keeping myself uh, intellectually o- occupied. It's my journey. Yeah. And, you know, people are welcome to share it with me, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going. Is it a, a, a bug that you sort of get after you haven't done it for a while? Oh uh, uh, no, I've always got it. Yeah, you, you finish a song and then you're under the next one. You know, that first song you heard. It's called I Can't Stop Thinking About You. It's really about the muse and looking at an empty sheet of paper like it's a 
field of snow with no clues on it about what, what's hidden underneath mm -hmm. it. Or, you, how are you going to get a story? Is this is there something there? There's something hidden uh, in a void. So that song is it's a rocker, but it's also got a you know, uh, philosophical puzzle in it. Mm -hmm. where, where does inspiration come from? Mm -hmm. what, what is it? What is what is that longing? Is it spiritual longing? Is it intellectual longing? Is it erotic? And, and what's the difference? Mm -hmm. It's all you know, searching. To return to that sound as you get older, what is it? Do you approach it in a different way? Uh that's interesting. I, I don't know whether I'm a smarter musician than I was when I was 24. I, you know, if I hear, I don't listen to my own music, but if I hear it by accident, I go, oh, that was an interesting decision for a 24-year-old to make. Mm -hmm. how, how did you arrive at that? And it was just instinct. Well, but now I, I, I kind of know technically what, what I'm doing, whereas before it was only instinct. So I try not to make that, that technical knowledge impair what sounds like instinctive music, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not to get in the way of it. Um, so, you know, it's, I hear stuff by accident and I think, wow, maybe you were smarter than you thought. <laughs> or not as smart as you thought. <laughs> Depending on the on the example, <laughs> and when did you realize it was working and that this could be an album? Uh, it's not the kind of thought I have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's working all the time. Um, but what what is its end use? I don't know. Again, it's all about having fun. Yeah. So uh, we still are. Cool. Um, and what was it like the, to? Blend these the, that band with your band and and what what did this, what was well the I mean you know I, I play with very high caliber of musicians who who know how to you know morph very very easily from whatever they're playing mm -hmm. whether rock and roll or jazz or folk music um, they can do it and so uh, I'm blessed enough in yeah. that sense you know. What was the, the, the sound when you blended that, you know, these Tex-Mex guys with your guys? Was there a, what, what did it sound like to you? That was well, well, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that they brought to it was were uh, backing vocals, you know, mm -hmm. a beautiful blend of uh, uh, backing vocals that uh, adds to my own, and so it had, it had more of a, t a different texture to what I normally do, because I normally do all of my own. Mm -hmm. But this was interesting. And just energy, and just mm -hmm. the sense of enthusiasm and freshness. And, to get back to that sound after going, you've um, done gone all kinds of different directions over the last ten, ten years, or, or a lot more yeah. longer than that too. But but the, there's been a lot of interesting albums. And what was what was it like to sort of? Um, well, you know, I don't think I've been in the wilderness. I've just been exploring my whim. Yeah. <laughs> to to just do what I want to do, and I think the audience appreciates that most yeah. of the times. So, okay, well, I'm intrigued about what. Is going to come next, and I like surprises, you know. So perhaps this album would be a, another surprise, you know, um, in that series. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Um, everybody seems happy with it, you know. It's not a lute album. It's not a folk album. It's something that's uh, more mainstream in a way. At this point, you, you ask him about a song that listeners haven't heard yet called One Fine Day off the new album. Yeah, that's one of the real poppy songs, but when you listen to it, it's kind of, it's a very serious song. He's kind of 
he's he's someone who's sort of dedicated a lot of his time to the rainforest environmental work and stuff so he this song is kind of along those lines but it's um he's kind of saying everything will be better one fine day is like he's always wondering if that's ever going to happen so this is where we kind of talk about um the future and and, and uh, his sort of dim view of that the one fine day is that was that a song because I, mean, I, I love what you're talking about in that song but also i love the melody of uh, does that one something like that come quickly to you um does it come quickly yeah it did actually <laughs> you know it's a kind of a cynical look at you know the climate skeptics and, uh, I actually want to believe them yeah <laughs> More than any, I pray that they're right in fact yeah. it's just the, you know a, a temporary aberration that, that everything will be fine on a fine day but uh, of course I can't do that yeah so the song is that kind of as a response to that you know and uh the claims that, you know, oh, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> My response is, we'll go and talk to one. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they'll tell you, is this your, oh, this is mine. Yes. When they say, like, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I know, like, what do you mean, like, when they say, when you see well, them? Well, they're sort of, it's a sort of way of um, just bypassing responsibility. You know, right. And calling it a theory, as if, you know, all science is based on theory, but it's also based on lots of research. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a basic misunderstanding of the word theory. It's not my field. But. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, with, your, with all the work that you do in, in you know, trying to preserve the planet and stuff, do you, how, how, do you, how, have thing, how are things going right now? Do you Terrible. think? Yeah. It's appalling. You know, we seem to be more interested in things that are much more. Uh, and it's much less important, you know, the biggest threat we face. Mm-hmm. Some people might think it's immigration or, or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, one of the, one of the things driving immigration, well, there are three things. There's, there's poverty, there's war, and pretty soon the biggest one, the biggest engine to migration will be climate change. Mm-hmm. So you have massive millions and millions of people looking for somewhere safe. This isn't going to go away. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. Am I pessimistic? I think I'm sanguine about it. You know, it's uh, this is the biggest problem we have. Yeah. So I, I think it's time our politicians really put their finger out. You know, and I was that's why I was so depressed yesterday about the Britain exiting the, the EU for no good reason. And at least the EU has a has a program to tackle. Uh, things like climate change, but the, you know, people who just want to leave, leave Europe to its own devices, not have any say in what goes down there on larger issues like climate change, like immigration, completely stupid. So I, I, I'm still in a bit of a uh, depression. Mm-hmm. We can't be complacent. Yeah. Well, you can't be complacent. I don't have a vote, but please don't be complacent. No. I, I think Hillary is amply qualified to lead the country and she's she's the most qualified candidate we've had for many years i know her i don't find her cold i don't find her calculating i think she's a good politician i think she's a good person so uh, i'm praying that yeah. you will make the right choice <laughs> indeed do you ever um do you ever watch fox news just for the hell of it to see what trump is up to and stuff um it's not one of my guilty pleasures no yeah. but occasionally i will see it by accident in an airport lounge and be horrified by what i'm hearing 
Uh, again, people are, you know, cynically being misinformed about the world for purposes which I, 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 feel, I don't know. And there's also a song called 50,000, which is, uh, you say, is about mortality. Yeah, um, he wrote this song uh, the week that Prince died, and it's a song called 50,000 about kind of playing a, a stadium with, with uh, someone who's, who's died, and he's sort of, whenever this happens, he sort of has to think about himself, and so he kind of explains what it's basically like to be a rock star and have to and say have to say goodbye to a, a colleague. Fifty thousand. Um, can can you tell me about? Uh, I mean, it could it relates to a lot of people, including me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's really a, a comment on how shocked we all are when one of our cultural icons dies. Genuinely, where we are in this deep shock, even though they're human beings like we are. Uh, Prince and, and David, to, to name but two this year, you know, Glenn Fry, uh, Lemmy, yeah. all these people. But we, we sort of, we gift them with a sort of spurious immortality. You know, they are our icons, for, they're our gods in a way. Yeah. So when they die, it, um, it, um, we have to question our own mortality. And even I, as a rock star, have to question my own. So I, I'm in there too. Yeah. And there's a sort of bittersweet realization that uh, all of that hubris <laughs> doesn't mean anything in the end result you know it's it's all human beings and all vulnerable but you stay in you I mean you're you stay in really good shape and everything you've taken care of yourself d- d- um, I try to yeah well when you like you know this morning or something do you exercise you still exercise in the mornings and everything right well you know I was an athlete when I was a kid and when I was a teenager so I just kept up my training schedule mm-hmm. and, uh, I do something every day mm-hmm. not today though all I do is drink coffee and sleep but I had a show last night yeah um, were, were you listening to anything in particular were you listening to different when you were making this not really no mm-hmm. no I, I tend to shut myself away and uh, just deal with the problem in hand and uh, you know I, I think of music when, when music without lyrics for me it's a uh, it's similar to, I imagine, how a sculptor looks at a piece of rock. You know, so I recognize an arm or a leg there, or a nose or something. And you follow those lines in the in the rock, and then you, you figure out a story. Or if it's if it's structured right, in an abstract way, it's telling you a, there's a narrative there, even though it's abstract. You know, it's a a b a b a b c middle eight. Uh, transposed to a key that's the narrative it's abstract so if you can translate that into a story and that that's the, that's the best of my work you know to, to make it into a recognizable narrative yeah, yeah. Uh, so you said you haven't figured out what's running through these songs yet but have you thought about it at all there's a lot of um stuff about emigrating the unnatural state I think is too see what's over the hill is it any better over the hill any safer you know I, I was a migrant from my hometown to, to London from London to here and um, linked to this there's a song on the album about uh, refugees you know trying to get to Europe uh, but there's a lot of road songs mm-hmm. and then this petrol head is a sort of satire of you know the American uh, 
trucker kind of macho mentality. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, told told with love, but it's a satire. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for um? Uh, what what are you? Or com- I mean, com- just, uh, commercial expectations, or what are you thinking about? Uh, you know, the uh, the record industry is in a state of uh, chaos and flux at the moment. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, um, the the right model hasn't really presented itself yet. I think streaming is probably the way it's going, but it has, it's not equitable yet. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it will be one day. So I've no idea what expectations are. We just you put a record out and hope for the best. Yeah. And, but it's not like the old days. Well, it's, um, how many million? <laughs> <laughs> many million. What, what, when, what do you think of rock and roll right now? Or is there anything? Is it sort of new bands and things well, like know, that? It's, it, it's, it's become a kind of traditional form. And um, it's still very healthy, I, I think. And there's plenty of stuff coming up. Um, it's just that it's not—it's not as socially cohesive as it used to be. You know, when I when I was a teenager, first buying records, there were maybe two or three releases a week, a month even. And so you were playing the same records as everyone around you. And you were, you know, either a Rolling Stones fan or a Beatles fan or a Kinks fan mm-hmm. or whatever. Now it's so diffuse and so many choices that it's not the cohesive force that it was for our, my generation. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it's not as important, but it um, it's just fragmented mm-hmm. and it's confusing. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or, or a good thing. It's just different. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to roll with it. Uh, I like the fact that vinyl is coming back. Yeah, it's a great idea. I like the ritual of uh, taking the record out of its inner sleeve and placing it lovingly on the turntable and putting the needle on, hearing the white noise. Uh, I miss that. I think you know when you get your music out of something that size and the sound quality is not great. Yeah. But things will improve, as I say. I think the model will come, will be equitable for musicians and and um, equally consumers of music, and you know that's. But that's in the future. Yeah. I was reading back a bunch of your Rolling Stone articles from the past, and um, the one you did in like around '07 when you brought the police back on the road, and you said, "I'm interested where where this will go in my mind musically. What I'll get out of this musically." and did you get things out of that musically? Out that of you the police? Were, yeah, that, um, that, that you might be doing on this. Uh, doing well, that. I mean, the police, that reunion was an exercise in nostalgia, you know, mm-hmm. pure and simple, mm-hmm. a very successful mm-hmm. exercise in nostalgia. There, wasn't, there was no attempt to take that somewhere else. You, you know, I think that we'd done all we had to do as a band. And so, uh, no. And that was Sting. Thanks for sharing that with us, Patrick. Oh, thanks, Nathan. It was fun. He, You know, I showed up. At the studio, and and he was it didn't seem like he w- really wanted to talk at the beginning. He he uh, he had his manager who uh, produced the record play f- a few songs, and he sort of uh, I thought he'd sort of be talking me through the songs, but instead he went to the couch and took a nap. That Sting would be talking <laughs> through the songs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was a little wondering whether he wanted to even do this, but then he kind of got up and started talking, and he sort of opened up over over the course of of our talk and I came away really liking him again so it was it was fun he's like a navy seal he can just sleep anywhere he's, I know. he's like a yeah a commando of rock 
I know. It's one of his many powers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. It helps. You can do that at the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. 